All right, it's the fan pregame on a Monday. Justin Cuthbert and Jesse Rubinoff up on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 360, and of course, Sportsnet 590, the fan. We're 24 hours removed from Super Bowl 58 and the formation of a well, a full-fledged dynasty uh, navigating maybe the toughest path in NFL history. Kansas City goes back-to-back. Mahomes bags a third straight or a third MVP. And everything kind of seems like right in the football world. We'll catch up with Mad Dog Chris Russo uh, in about a half hour to discuss the Super Bowl. Isn't that... I cannot wait for that. It's a perfect guy to have on a Monday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, let's get the hot takes ready to go from Mad Dog. We can just sit here and he'll go. Oh, it's amazing. I can't wait for that. Uh, also... <laughs> While the Super Bowl was going on, uh, Nick Taylor happens to win the Waste Management uh, Drunk Fest, is what I'm calling it, because it was an absolute fiasco mm-hmm. there. The tournament, uh, all the players hate it now. Uh, but nonetheless, Nick Taylor was the story. Um, late charge, won in a playoff, his fourth win on the PGA Tour. That ties a Canadian record on the PGA Tour, and he wins it again with a putter flip. Like The guy loves it. His sellies are great. So while the Super Bowl was on, I know there were a lot of households in Canada that were tuning over to the Waste Management Open to see Nick Taylor win. So congratulations to Nick. We'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. Yeah, Nick Taylor good. The Waste Management maybe bad? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of getting a little... We'll, we'll discuss that in a little bit of well. Yeah. It's getting a little bit cringy. Uh, the biggest story, though, in hockey over the weekend was Riley on Ridley. Ridley, Greg, that is. Uh, the cross-check that might earn... Uh, an early season Lady Bing candidate with no suspension history, five plus games with an in season uh, or yeah. in uh, sure. in uh, in person meeting with the NFL safeties are as the Battle of Ontario hit a boil over the weekend. We'll have Merrick on in about five minutes to discuss that. Yeah, and in the NBA, two big games on the network tonight. We're going to whittle down our list of teams who we think can win the title. Uh, we're aiming to have as short of a list as possible. I think I only need. I might only need two. Honestly, really? Yeah. I think there's a lot of mid teams. As competitive a lot of as usher, it is, halftime right, show right. type teams where it's just kind of mid. This is where we need to be experts here and sort through all the chaos because there's yeah. a lot of teams that are close to each other, especially in the Eastern Conference. But I, I'm with you. I think there's some contenders and some pretenders in there, and it's up to us to whittle it down. Yeah, it's a, there's only a couple Mahomes level talents I think in the NBA this year. I don't want to start with Mahomes because. Obviously, winning a third Super Bowl, a third Super Bowl MVP puts him in a sort of category that no one except maybe one person uh, can challenge. Uh, And we're early on. We're only seven years into Patrick Mahomes' career. So I think it is worth asking, and we'll ask Mad Dog this a little bit later. When all is said and done, Jesse, do you believe that Patrick Mahomes will be considered unequivocally the GOAT? Uh, When all is said and done is an interesting wrinkle to that question. I would say probably no. And I think that's maybe a bit of a, zag when everybody else is zigging because Mm -hmm. there's so many factors that go into having to win a Super Bowl. There's health. We saw Tom Brady have his torn ACL one season with the New England Patriots. There's health of his own team, which is big. He's overcome a lot in that respect over the last couple of seasons. But there's also, you don't know who else is coming. You don't know if there's going to be another Brady or another Mahomes. And while we think that these two are out on an island and they're the only ones that could perform at this level. You just don't know who's coming in the draft. Seven Super Bowls is so many Super Bowls. And despite how great Patrick Mahomes is, and he's unbelievable, and maybe he plays until he's 42 years of age or even longer. Who knows? Mm-hmm. With the advent of uh, athletic performance and managing bodies and stuff like that. I have no idea. But there's also a world where he could either step away early or something like that. And you look at the stats. To this point of their career... There's no question that he's on a better pace and track than Tom Brady was. 
But I think there's so much still that he has to deal with over the course of a career to get to Brady's level. Yeah, even so, like let's say let's say he is ahead. Three and seven is, again, uh, untouchable, I guess, in terms of starts to your career, the Super Bowl uh, MVPs, of course, Ridiculous. adding to that. Yeah. So maybe if you compare them and you're superimposing one on top of the other, Mahomes' nose is out front just a little bit. But in order to be better than Tom in the end, you've got to do what you've done already once more. Mm-hmm. Like he's got to do the three and seven or the three and nine or whatever again. It's got to happen again. And then you need one more to tie. But I think the other wrinkle it's crazy. is, like even if he does that, let's say he ends up with six Super Bowls, illustrious career, all the records, probably more passing yards and all that stuff because, you know, different eras as yeah, well. Yeah. But if he does it again, we can always go back to a head-to-head record between the two. And Tom Brady is 2-0 and against Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes said that last beating night. Him at, he did. Yeah. In a, beat him in one Super Bowl, beat him in one AFC Championship game. So it's going to be not that, you know, that you can't compare. Or mm-hmm. you, it's just Tom because of that 2-0. and But if it's, a, if it's a tie break, if it's six, if it's seven, if he has to go somewhere else just like Tom to win another one, I'm not really sure. But if you go back to the head-to-head meetings... One in their prime, maybe one on the way out, one just getting their feet under them. So maybe you can kind of give and take on that. Mm -hmm. But head-to-head, one beat the other in a Super Bowl, and Patrick Mahomes can never get that one back. Yeah, no, it's such a good point. I think sometimes in society, we're so quick to want to move on from people. We're so quick to want to move on from Brady. We're so quick to want to move on from Michael and crown LeBron as the GOAT. The difference between LeBron and Patrick Mahomes at this stage is that LeBron essentially has his entire resume built. It's over. Patrick Mahomes is feels like just getting started, which is unbelievable. So does he have the potential? For sure. There's one thing I know without a question or a shadow of a doubt. When he has the ball to win the game, Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, they both had this unbelievable inevitability to mm-hmm. them. You knew that when the, they have the ball, game on the line, it's over. Everybody knew as soon as the Chiefs got the ball back when they needed a field goal, they were going to score. Then when they got the ball back to try and win with a touchdown, you knew he was going to score. And that's something that Brady always had, and it's something that Patrick Mahomes also has. Yeah, that inevitability is what separates those two, and why we'll be probably debating those two uh, until the end of time, or at least when Patrick Mahomes' career is over. Okay, it's Merrick Monday, so let's get into our conversation, our weekly conversation with the host of the Jeff Merrick Show. Jeff, what's going on? Uh, not much. Justin, Jesse, how are you guys? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Uh, we're doing pretty good. Maybe better than uh, Morgan Riley on this day. Uh, it's well, it, unbelievable sort of discourse that came. Uh, like nothing gets people more fired up, at least in terms of NHL commentators uh, than or commenters, uh, more appropriately put, uh, than suspension discourse. And everyone was in on this one. So Riley gets an in-person uh, or at least offered one. So Morgan Riley... Yeah. Uh, is waiting on that conversation, I suppose, and eventually a decision. But just based on the act, based on what you saw Saturday night uh, after the game or after the empty netter was hammered home, uh, do you think Morgan Riley deserves to be suspended? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the 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 the, the play was the play was over. He chased him down and he cross checked him high. Like I. I I, I understand that it's a problem when your bull gets gored. I get it. And I understand the tribalist nature of, of sports. And listen, everyone who is arguing in, in favor of Ottawa, Ottawa Senators fans, in favor of Toronto, Toronto fans, 
if the roles were reversed, the commentary would have been reversed. Yeah. Like if you if you if you take out Ridley Gregg and you put in Matthew Nyes and you take out Morgan Riley and you put in Brady Kachuk, I mean Ottawa fans are making the Maple Leafs point, and Maple Leafs fans are making the Ottawa point. Like that's just that's just the nature of sports, right? And none of it's really logical. It's all led by the heart, and you know sports. You know, I think our job here as, you know, um, as media is to try to find, you know, that middle ground between what your heart feels and your head knows and try to articulate it as best as possible as trying to remove yourself from the emotion of the moment. But, you know, looking at it, I mean, you know, like right away, I, I said to myself, it's kind of like one of those tweets that you send out and you go, oh, that feels really good. And then five seconds later, you say, what the hell have I done? What did I just just do? Now it's going to be, I'm going to be suspended. We're nip and tuck for a playoff spot here. Oh man, this was a, this was a really poorly thought out plan. Like we can split hairs about, you know, how many games does he deserve and what's the precedent for this? But you have two things have to happen. Two things that I think happen here. Uh, One Ridley Gregg, when he does that, has to know that there's going to be some type of response. I'm sorry, folks, that sports, as immature as you may want to say it is, that there is going to be some type of response. And two, Morgan Riley has to know that if, he does, if his response crosses a certain line, he's going to sit down for a few games. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, maybe a cross check in the, I don't know, in the hip. In the in the in, in the arm, or maybe drop your gloves and grab awesome. them, yeah. and throw them down, something. But a cross check high, I get it. Like it's it's that tweet. It's the ah, that feels good for five seconds. What did I just do? That was Morgan Riley on Saturday. But he's got to know something's coming. And also, really, Greg needs to know there's going to be some type of response coming because that is just hockey. And I'll tell you what. You know, I know I'm getting long-winded here, guys, and I apologize, but I want to want to make sure that we have one one thing clear here. I thought one of the most interesting parts of all of it was the uh, the Claude Giroux interview on Hockey Night in Canada. Good for Hockey Night, producer Brian Spear for uh, arranging it, and two, good for you know, good for the Ottawa Senators player here, who was a veteran mm-hmm. guy in Claude Giroux for doing it as well, because he knows he's getting the question, and when it came, you could tell that there was some uneasiness with Giroux on the one hand. I'm sure he didn't like what Ridley Gregg did. He's a veteran guy. He understands these rules. And, you know, he comes from the Philadelphia Flyers and the code of Chris Prager and Bobby Clark before him. But at the same time, he doesn't want to throw his player under the bus. It made for one of the most interesting hockey interviews that we've seen all year, at which point Claude Giroux just at the end kind of just said, you know what? No comment on any of it, but the silence both ways kind of spoke volumes. Yeah, I thought it was a great interview. Are, are you at all surprised by the divergence in what people think Riley should nope. get? Because some nope. people think none, some people think five, <laughs> 10, 20. Like it's legitimately all over the place. And it's hard yeah. to figure out like where I think I should land because I'm just hearing opinions from all sides. It's kind of difficult to make up my mind. It's an empty net goal. The play is over. He skate, like he hunts. Like, I know this is going to sound like loaded language, but he hunts him down. Mm-hmm. I'll use a, a lowercase h, not an uppercase h on that one. He hunts him down, and he cross-checks him high, and it's out of frustration. And here's the key point, I think, as well, Jesse. It's out of revenge. Yeah. And that's the one, and that's the, one like, the play is over, and then there's still like a moment where he, he's skating, and it's only for revenge. It's not part of 
anything to do with hockey, cross-checking someone in front, nah, maybe the, the stick went up a little bit, trying to get a puck, get someone away from the goaltender. No, it's all over. But am I surprised at the divergence of opinions? No. Um, <laughs> because, uh, listen, Nick, there's a lot of people that think that, you know, that should be nothing. And if this were 1975, that it would only be, you know, that, that would be no games and the kid would learn his lesson and you don't do that in the NHL. Mind you, that was, you know, during the era where half the league probably should have been incarcerated. Uh, but, but nonetheless, like, we're a more evolved game, I like to think, uh, in, in, in this day and age. It's, uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's always a, this is going to sound awful, but there's always a sort of overly hysterical set that watches hockey because they want to be offended at things. And then when you see a moment like that, it's just clutch the pearls mm. and mm-hmm. we're spending the whole night eating and tweeting. Here we go. We're eating and tweeting. <laughs> I'm outraged. And this is what. It, and then on the other hand, there's the, ah, just let them play. No autopsy, no foul. If I don't see any chalk on the ice, there was barely any damage at all. I don't see any blood. He didn't miss any teeth. He doesn't have a cough. That's so true. Like, there's, there's somewhere in between is probably the truth. And that's why we're probably looking at something, I don't know, five, maybe four, maybe, you know, if Morgan Riley gets lucky here with some type of defense and can get this thing to a, uh, uh, to, to a lower number. But uh, I'm, I'm not surprised because if anything, like, the thing, here's the thing about it, and I'm talking myself into my point. Here's the thing about it. In a lot of ways, it seemed wild and chaotic, but can you not make the point that everything was extremely predictable? Like, the moment that he wound up and scratched his back with his blade to take that shot, He's got to know something is coming. For sure. Riley, Riley, when he hits him, has to know that there's a suspension coming. And everybody's got to know that on Twitter, there is going to be, there's going to be those that want to throw the book at him and suspend him for 20 games. And others that are just saying he better be in the lineup Tuesday against St. Louis or this sport has been destroyed. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of the divide, right? And it really is a perfect storm because you got a guy with a relatively squeaky clean image. Uh, You've got something that's going to annoy anyone who's ever played the game you know, that's advanced past puberty. Like, honestly, if you're playing beer league, competitive hockey, minor hockey, whatever, if someone does that, there's going to be at minimum, minimum, a conversation. And everyone sort of understands that even Claude Giroux, even Josh Norris, they're not taking Ridley Gregg's side. But if you land a cross check on someone's cheek, uh, it's going to result in something. So uh, I I think that's why it hits all the boxes. It's just kind of the perfect storm in a lot of ways. And it might have some serious consequences for the Leafs because the Leafs can't afford to lose their number one defenseman right now. If this is between six to 10, Merrick, like, is this maybe the thing that decides whether or not the Leafs are going to the playoffs? Uh, Had that conversation this afternoon. It's a a tough one, right? Until until we know the number. I mean, potentially, yes. Like, you could make the argument, I think, uh, as much as Austin Matthews, who has 41 rips, um, I think you can make the argument, though, that Morgan Riley's been, A, their best player, and, and B, maybe their most valuable player as well. Like, he's having a tremendous yeah. season here. He really is. And now this has been an up-and-down season for the Maple Leafs, as we all know, uh, winning games against heavyweight teams and bowing out against teams that are nowhere close. to. It's been a frustrating season. And one of the things that I think about this incident, and to, to answer your question, yes, it could. Like it, it could determine, you know, it could determine playoffs or not if things really go south. And he's their best defenseman. We all know the problems on the blue line the Maple Leafs have. And now you take him out of the equation, everybody gets bumped up a spot, and uh oh, we're in trouble. And oh yeah, the goalie issue is still out there too. So, um, but at, at at the same time as well, 
when you look at this when you look at this scenario um, from the Toronto Maple Leafs point of view, um, you say to yourself, okay, it's been a frustrating season. Why is Morgan Riley doing this? I really think part of this, and let me know if you think this is a stretch. Mm. But when I looked at this, like after, because we all had a good whack at this pinata Saturday night. When I looked about it and thought about it, one of the things I came back to was the, you might think this is funny, guys, the Jose Bautista bat flip. And that bat flip wasn't just about that home run. That was about years and years and years of frustration for the Toronto Blue Jays finally being over. Mm -hmm. Like everybody could exhale. Now, the flip side of that positivity is the negativity that we saw on Saturday. I don't think that was just about Ridley Gregg doing that because, you know, to the previous point about this is someone that isn't, you know, isn't, you know, uh, that doesn't have 200 penalty minutes a season. Like there were times we're talking about Morgan Riley for the lady Bing this year. Mm-hmm. That's that ship is sailed. I can't help but thinking that part of that was just the frustration of how the entire season is gone for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know the majority of it was Ridley Gregg. He happened to be standing there. But part of it is I think a lot of these players carry a lot of frustration about how this year has gone for the Maple Leafs. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that had Riley done nothing or anybody, any leaf on the ice, if they had done nothing, the conversation today would be like, how could you let Ridley Gregg go and do that and there not be a response? It would be same old Leafs, still a soft team. This is why they never win in the playoffs. Like There is a, yeah. an alternative universe where that is the conversation right. today instead of right. Morgan Riley. Yeah, you're right. You, you are exactly right, because you're right. If he doesn't do anything, yeah, that is a conversation. Oh, look at this team. Oh, too much soft skill. Uh, don't know how to play playoffs. Don't defend each other. Bad room. The whole deal, right? Yeah. 23 guys and 23 Ubers. It's not a team. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, but I, th- but I, think what we're, I think I think the, the main point here is, yes, there needed to be a response, but did it need to be that one? Yeah, don't cross him in the head. <laughs> yeah. That's it's just it's that simple. Like It's like... You don't treat dandruff by decapitation, Jesse Rubinoff. <laughs> like, there are other things you can do. Yeah, I certainly hope not. I've, uh, I've battled with dandruff from time to time, so I don't want to get decapitated anytime soon. Uh, I kept thinking, Eric, on, on Saturday night when it happened, like, I, I was here, I was in the newsroom, and we were throwing around the, the video of Dale Hunter in 1993 when he smoked Pierre yeah. Turgeon. And I understand it was not an empty netter in that case, but, Turg- but Hunter hit Turgeon into the boards. Turgeon suffered a separated shoulder. And yeah. Hunter got 21 games. And Riley, yeah. if you think the stick work is the bad part of this, if people are saying, if we're sitting here saying, well, why didn't Riley just go and hit him or push him or something else? If we're saying that the stick work is the problem, Batman was the commissioner when Dale Hunter was suspended for 21 games. Now, I don't think Riley, I don't think anyone really thinks Riley should be suspended for 21 games. But I did yeah. look back on that video and say, hmm, like, I don't think that what Riley did is that much is, I think what Hunter did, in fact, isn't as bad. Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting point, and it's, it's one that we, that we saw. Like, listen, like, Dale Hunter was, was trending all weekend. Yeah. Like, out of the blue, bam. Like, Dale Hunter? <laughs> okay, I get that Easton Cowan's on a 21-game point streak, <laughs> but all right, like, why is Dale Hunter trending here? Um, first of all, um, a lot of like I have a hard time comparing suspensions era to era, sure. Because a lot of it is dependent on how the managers want the game called. You know, like at these managers' meetings, um, Colin Campbell will say, "Okay, like how do you want us to handle suspension?" 
and and by and large, as much as you know, when it's your bull that gets scored, general managers feign outrage. They really don't want long suspensions. They really don't. Like mm-hmm. yeah, the Dale Hunter one is is a, is, a, is a good example. I'll go back to um, Dave Brown on Thomas Sandstrom that cross check in front of that in the Rangers Philadelphia Flyers game, which is a, just a brutal cross check, and that was 15 games. And no one's talking about 15 or 20 games now, for any, but that was just the way that, you know, the NHL wanted to police this game at that time. Now, you know, like when you, when you sit someone down for something sizable, you get the call from the GM. And now here's the other thing too, like this, and we're seeing this more so this year than ever before. And that is appeal. And I do think the fact that so many players are appealing multi-game suspensions. I mean, we most recently saw in the David Perron incident, even mm. though, you know, you don't get the, uh, you don't get the games, you don't get the games back, but you could get some money back if the, uh, if the suspension gets knocked down. I really do wonder, I think all of us do, if that plays a factor in this at all as well, because we never used to see appeals like this. Every now and then there was only B1, whether it's Rafi Torres or, or whomever, but we haven't seen appeals like this for a long time in the NHL. And I do think that's influenced the Department of Player Safety and the NHL. But again, like to your, to your question, Jesse, like you're right. Like that is a sizable suspension. Dave Brown, Thomas Sandstrom was a sizable suspension, mm-hmm. but managers don't want lengthy suspension sure. anymore. It's a fascinating situation, so fascinating that it took up our entire segment, Merrick. Uh, Merrick Monday exclusive, exclusively on Riley uh, versus Ridley. Uh, we'll do this again uh, next Monday, and we'll try to sprinkle in a few more topics for you, Jeff. I just like the fact that we got to talk about dandruff and decapitation. Yeah, I love it. love it. I mean, you guys could have just got the buzzer out and, you know. <laughs> Cut the head on on the body. I'm going to need to keep using that quote. That was a good one. I'm going to steal that from the American. Thanks. Greatness borrows, but genius steals. Go for it, Jesse. Love it. Thank you. Uh, Jeff Merrick of the Jeff Merrick Show. Thanks, uh, uh, Merrick, for jumping on on another Monday. You, uh, We mentioned a little bit off the top, Nick Taylor winning the waste management. Yes, sir. Uh, he, he's spending his Super Bowls uh, competing for this title, this time winning it. Uh, and we had a great question from uh, our producer, Mike Gentile, uh, while we were prepping for the show. Is he the best Canadian male golfer or is he just the most live to win? Because Nick Taylor is now up to four wins, ties a Canadian record among men. Last two were in playoffs. So he has, uh, he has something for the moment at the very least when it is crunch time, he's able to deliver. And yet, would I say that he is the most talented Canadian golfer? I would say probably not. If you went to the hardest courses and it was Connor versus Nick Taylor in a pay-per-view special, I might be leaning Connors, but... Nick Taylor's starting to put a resume now that no other male Canadian golfer can touch. Yeah, it's hard to argue against Taylor when he has four wins. He's doubled up Connors' win total. I think one of the things that works in Connors' favor is his uh, big tournament ability. I know Taylor obviously won the Canadian Open, and that was massive by all accounts. But Connors really performs well at the Masters, Mm -hmm. and that gives him a ton of visibility when it comes to not only Canadian golf fans, but also golf fans in general. And so that, I think, colors a lot of why we think Corey Connors is so good. Obviously, he's top 50 in the world. He's an unbelievable talent. But I think there is something to be said for four wins. Like, that is not an easy thing to do, to tie the Canadian record. And it feels like he's almost just getting started. Like, this is a good field at the waste management that he beat. It was a good good field field at the Canadian Open. So it's not like he's going to some, you know, tournament that doesn't have anybody in it. These are real golf tournaments that he's winning. 
and deserves a ton, a ton of credit. Maybe another example, too, of what a win can do for you and maybe like the liberating aspect of winning a major, major tournament like he did in the RBC Canadian Open is bigger for Canadians than it is, I suppose, uh, the general golfing population. But to have a moment where, yeah, accomplished, uh, you're accomplished for the rest of your career. Yeah. You did that. And everyone will know your name because of what you did, Crazy. how that helps the rest of your career. And again, so cool. I can't equate, hey, you won the RBC Canadian Open and opens up to, for you to win others because of clearly he was challenging before he won that at Phoenix mm-hmm. last year. Uh, but I, I feel like that win, the RBC is going to do a lot for Nick Taylor's career is only getting started, of course. Uh, we have about, we don't have much time at all, actually. We got to run. We'll debate whether or not the waste management is good for golf in a little bit because it. it's starting to get like, it's starting to get a little cringy, at least Beyond. in my Beyond. eyes. So we'll do that after the break. And we got Chris Bad Dog Russo coming up. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, the fan pregame rolls on on a Monday. Reminder that Monday night hockey has a doubleheader tonight. The Flames are in New York to take on the Rangers. And then another all-flurry affair with the Minnesota Wild and Vegas Golden Knights at 10. And then two big games on the network uh, on Sportsnet 1 in the NBA. Denver at Milwaukee and Minnesota will be in Los Angeles to tackle the Clippers. Very quick before we bring Mad Dog in, the waste management. Are you Mm -hmm. as excited in the event as you were maybe a couple years ago, and where do you think this is trending? No, no. Get a hold of yourselves. My goodness. The, the best. This tournament was fantastic when the nonsense was confined to the 16th hole, mm-hmm. and that was the party hole, and everyone, you were allowed to do whatever you wanted, and the, the booze were great, and the cheering was out of control, the throwing the beer was awesome, but now it's heckling players on every hole. You're partying on every hole. There's people falling all over themselves, falling into mud, there's yeah. people going to the bathroom, sitting on stools. Like, what are we doing here? It's essentially a Bill's Mafia tailgate yeah. like, in every green space. It's still that's golf, not, and you still have to have some... On the course. Yeah, you have to have some semblance of respect for the game, respect for the players who are trying to earn a paycheck. I mean, it's it's too much. Yeah, they got to reel that baby They're in. going to reel Just it Just a little bit. I, I would imagine And, and so. someone we don't have to reel in at all is no. our next guest, Chris Mad Dog. Yeah, so serious XM, and of course, of first take to talk about Super Bowl 58 last night, and a budding dynasty for the Kansas City Chiefs. What's happening, Mad Duck? Hello there, boys. How are you today? Things good? Uh, We're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. Always good to talk about a Super Bowl. That was, at least at the end, as exciting as that one. Uh, What was your Super Bowl experience like? Well, first off, the game was awful, and so that punt (laughs) that got uh, deflected and the Chiefs recovered there at 2.40 to go in the third quarter. And then, of course, the game was crazy from there on in. Uh, you know, I have two themes to the game. The first theme is Mahomes. I have said this a lot in the last month or so. I'll continue it. He's the best quarterback I've ever seen. And I've been watching him since Unitas and Starr mm. in the late 60s. He's the best quarterback. And that includes Brady. I know Brady beat him twice. And I know Brady's got seven to his three. But uh, I think he's the best quarterback I've ever seen. He, he I, I very rarely ever see him make a big mistake. He has a short memory. I'll allow the interception third quarter. He's 15-3 and three in playoff games. Two of his losses were to Brady. One of them he was heroic in. They lost in overtime. The other one he had no offensive line. Tampa beat him in Tampa. And he had a bad game, of course, uh, against second half against Cincinnati. And if you give Mahomes enough rope, he's going he's gonna to hang you. And the Niners should never, 
ever have been in that situation where they had to hang on for dear life late because, you know, they really dominated the game for a large part of it, and they allowed Mahomes to hang around, hang around, hang around, turn the ball over on the punt return, mm-hmm. and next thing you know, they were in a dogfight. <laughs> Excuse me. And a dogfight against the Chiefs and him is not going to work. That's the, that's the first take. The second take is Shanahan. No, I, I, I'm a Shanahan fan. I think he's a big-time coach. But I got I have to be fair. I mean, he has a penchant for losing these games with big leads. You know, the offensive coordinator of Atlanta lost 28-9 yeah. lead to Brady, 20-10 and 19 to Mahomes. And yesterday, same thing. He had leads. Now, if you're Shanahan, you won't be able to sleep for two reasons. One, uh, you were five yards away late in the game before the two-minute warning of getting a first down, running the ball twice, and putting the game away with a field goal and not giving Kansas City the ball back. He threw the ball twice. He got a completion that netted no yardage, and then he threw an incomplete. And he only was able to kick the field goal, and the Chiefs had plenty of time with some with a timeout left to go right down the field. That uh, If you run the ball twice with McCaffrey, who ran the ball on first down for five yards, you might, you know, you might win the game. I mean, two carries for five yards, the game is over. And that hits, he won't sleep for a month thinking about that. And then the second thing, of course, is taking the ball first in overtime. Yeah. Uh, you cannot give Mahomes four downs. You can't worry about using, uh, you know, the third possession. Well, we'll get the ball the third time. We'll both score, and then we have a chance to win. You, you That's like a manager, I got a great closer, and I better not use him in the bottom of the ninth of game seven at 2-2, two, two, mm-hmm. because if I do that against the bottom of the order, I won't have him for the bottom of the tenth against the heart of the order. Get through the ninth first, and then we'll worry about the tenth. You might score ten runs in the top of the tenth to make the closer uh, not necessary in the bottom half of the inning. And he needs to kick off there and maybe only give the Chiefs three downs to work with instead of four. So those are the two big issues for Shanahan. And again, he won't sleep for a month, and the Chiefs go back-to-back. And they were very motivated to win their three in a row. They mentioned that consistently mm-hmm. in a postgame. They want to be the first since the Packers in the 60s to 3 Pete. Where do you think this ranks in Mahomes' career in terms of his Super Bowls? Because the, the offensive line was weaker this year. Their top wide receiver was a rookie. They had to go on the road for the first time in the Mahomes era. They were underdogs, mad dog, in, in literally every single playoff game this year. They had the toughest playoff path ever if you look at regular season DVOA. So is this the most impressive uh, run that you've seen? Listen, if, absolutely. I mean, look at the Chiefs on Christmas Day. They got buried by the Raiders. They couldn't move the ball an inch. The Raiders basically had, what, four completions in the game. Mm -hmm. They did absolutely nothing, and the Chiefs were embarrassed at Arrowhead. That's not that long ago. That's Christmas Day. The next week, they looked better. They beat the Bengals. They knocked them out. Then they had a week off. Then they played in horrific weather at home, buried the Dolphins. They embraced it. Then they went to Buffalo. We all heard about how they couldn't win a road game in a postseason, or Mahomes hadn't won a road game in a postseason. They survived the Bills. They go up and down the field. Then they go to Baltimore against a one seed. They're a five-point underdog. They jump out to a good lead. They play good defense. They hang in there. They complete third and nine to end the game. And then they are an underdog again, which is asinine, with Mahomes. (laughs) Underdog again, down 10-3, down 10-0, down 10-6, down with two minutes to go, tie the game, and then down in overtime. I mean, 
you know, against the Eagles, they got a break with a call. Against the Niners, they got the three touchdowns in the fourth quarter for their first one. Uh, they were the one seed. They got home games. Um, I, I would now you'd have to ask Mahomes. He, you know, I mean, nobody's going to get a chance to ask him this, but this probably has got to be the sweetest of the three so far. This is an incredible job by the Chiefs, and that was an incredible win. And again, he didn't come back yesterday once to win a game. He came back twice. Mm-hmm. We all talk about these great heroic championship Super Bowl drives. San Francisco against Cincinnati. Brady's done it a numerous amount of times. You know, obviously Roethlisberger did it against Pittsburgh, uh, against Arizona when he was at Pittsburgh, and San Antonio Holmes made the catch. That was one drive. He did it twice. He tied the game up at the end with a field goal and then won the game with a touchdown. I mean, you can't get any better than that. So, listen, what a win. Uh, great finish. And, uh, you know, the Chiefs, I don't think they're three-peat, but I'm not betting against them. I'm not betting against that quarterback. Never, ever am I betting against that quarterback in a big game. No, no I, th- I think it's a lesson that everyone uh, across the NFL world uh, learned or was at least reminded of uh, this time around. Three straight underdogs uh, come uh, coming out on top in that situation. Uh, we're talking to Chris Mad Dog Russo of Sirius XM and ESPN's uh, First Take uh, their fingerprints are on everything, Kansas City's, uh, including the rule book. I mean, part of the reason why the overtime rules are as they are is because of Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, it was the first time we saw that in the playoffs, the new o- overtime rules. Do you think it served the game well how the overtime was set up? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, it took them a long time to do it. Atlanta did not get the ball back against the Pats. Uh, Mahomes did not get the ball back against Brady. Uh, I, you know, I, I had forgotten, I knew about the rule. I had forgotten that, you know, it carries into the second quarter. So you get a complete possession if you're the second team. And of course, Vinovich didn't tell us that, uh, when he flipped the coin, but yes, uh, I am, uh, I, there's no way you can't like the overtime. You got an extra bonus 15 minutes of football. You had drama there at the end. Um, you know, it would have been amazing if the Niners had scored the touchdown and the chiefs followed up with a touchdown, if they would have gone for two in the win, I mean, they claim now they would have. Uh, you know, that's easy to say that after the fact. I don't know if they actually would have, but maybe they would have not to give the Niners the ball again. Uh, but, yes, I think that um, the overtime was very – it worked out well. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't make a big deal about the Niner players not knowing the rule. It had no effect on the game. Even I was a little confused. Uh, even Romo was confused. Well, that's no, that's not news, but he was confused because I think he thought that was a championship play that Chris Jones made because he made it seem like when Purdy threw the incomplete there at the four-yard line that if they scored the touchdown there, the game was over, not realizing the Chiefs did get the ball back with a chance to at least match it. Uh, I don't think there's anything not to like uh, about the new rule in the overtime. It's probably long overdue. Uh, it's fair. Now, the game, again, let's be fair about the game. The game stunk. I mean, the first three quarters of that oh, yeah. game, and to the punt return, and 2 4 to go in the third quarter, that was as bad a game as I've seen in a long time. But it's what we remember about the game. The third quarter had lead changes. Uh, I'm sorry, the fourth quarter had lead changes, and, if, and the, at seven lead changes in the last 20 minutes. I mean, can't do any better than that. I mean, so from the standpoint of where we were, at the conclusion, compared to where we were at six thirty at nine thirty at night, a huge difference. Yeah, tremendous. I, again, tremendous. I, I know you mentioned uh, the Chiefs trying to go for three in a row, but Shanahan 
I mean, he's getting a bit of a reputation here as yes. a choker because that's three straight Super Bowls with either being an offensive coordinator or a head coach where you've blown double-digit leads. They're 0-4 against the Chiefs with Shanahan as the head coach in San Francisco. Three of the losses have come by double digits. And now in today's NFL, you almost have to maximize the time when you have your quarterback on a friendly deal, on a team-friendly deal. And Brock Purdy is on one right now. And after next year, he's going to probably sign a much bigger deal. Is the window in San Francisco closing? Dan Campbell had that quote after the Lions loss where he said that, you know, you have to appreciate when you, when you make it this far, you got to take advantage of those moments. And the 49ers just haven't been able to take advantage of it when they've been able to get to the Super Bowl. Well, let's be fair now to Shanahan. Let's be, I'll be fair to him. Yeah. Okay. He lost the first, he lost to Brady and Mahomes twice. And he lost a championship game to Stafford by a field goal. And he had Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo, and I'm not knocking him because he played well, and Brock Purdy. So he lost, think about it, three Super Bowls to arguably the two greatest quarterbacks since 1920. I mean, think about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that's a little – he didn't lose to Brad Johnson. He lost to Tom Brady <laughs> and Patrick Mahomes, three of the games. And the other one he lost to Stafford, who was also going to the Hall of Fame. So he lost four brutal games to three Hall of Famers and number one, number two, and maybe Montana's three, in the history of the National Football League. Purdy's not a Hall of Famer. Garoppolo is going to be out of the league. And Matt Ryan's a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. And so you, you have to be a little fair here. Now, your point is well taken. 20 to 10, lost. 28, nine, fourth quarter, lost. And obviously, plenty of chances to beat the Rams. So, I mean, you'd think that one of those, you know, footballs would bounce his way. And that's where the play calling yesterday comes into. Despite Mahomes, he had five yards to get to put the game away. Second and five, Chief 35-yard line, 235 left, Chiefs two timeouts. Run the ball twice. Mm -hmm. He threw it. He completed the first one, no gain, Kittle. And then he had the incomplete with the blitz, and that stopped the clock, and he had to kick the field goal. Now, in hindsight, if nothing else, if you run the ball twice, you make the Chiefs call another timeout, and you could get the first down. You can make it fourth and an inch. You got some options. He didn't do that, and I'm sure he's lamenting that today. Uh, definitely there's some things that he's going to be thinking about, and it seems like that's the story every time he plays in one of these big games. There was right. there were points left, there were plays left on the field, whatever you want to put it. Mm-hmm. The same way Mahomes makes up that ground, uh, I guess it's an inability right now, or at least has been for Kyle Shanahan, to do the same. I think heading into this, people just wanted clarity in some ways on Brock Purdy. Like, could he be that guy? I feel like I don't even know if we got that clearly. Like, he didn't play brilliantly, of course. Did he lose the game for the Niners? No, but in terms of Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy as a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, as a quarterback that can win the Super Bowl with San Francisco one day, did we answer any of those questions yesterday? Yeah, I, I think you can. Um, let's look at it this way. Purdy was 23 of 38, 255 yards. He took one sack, did not have a turnover, threw a touchdown pass, and had a 90 quarterback rating. If somehow, someway, Mahomes slips on fourth and one or fourth and a half a yard in overtime, he's a Super Bowl champ. Uh, Purdy played well enough. 
pretty play pretty I mean did he was he as you said, was he brilliant? No. Uh was he as good as Mahomes? No. But I mean, you know, Kittle they took Kittle away, they took Samuel away, they took Ayuk away for the most part. He played a pretty solid game. He played a winning football game against ninety nine percent of the quarterbacks in the NFL. The problem is the one percent is Mahomes. And he didn't play well enough to beat him. But he didn't have a turnover. He had one sack, 255, one touchdown, a 90 quarterback rating, and 23 of 38. If I would have told a Niner fan at 628 yesterday afternoon, and I wrote that line out, they would have taken it Mm. and taken their chances. With their defense and, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, they would do to beat him and all that, they would have taken it. So I can't get on them. Let's also be fair. If that punt doesn't hit the kid's leg and McLeod recovers it, I'm not sure if the Chiefs win. That was a huge play. Yes. Got the Chiefs in the mix. Mm. They got him a first down to 15-yard line. That was a big play in the game. So uh, I am not ready to um, – listen, is he an all-time great? No. Is he going to the Hall of Fame? No. Uh, is he a guy that is worth $40 million a year? Well, they're going to have to pay him that, but probably not. But you can win with Brock Purdy. I think we saw that most part this year. Yeah, he played well enough for the Niners to get through this. No question about it. Yeah, it seems like he played well enough to at least be in that position again where we can continue to ask those questions over and over and over yeah. about whether or not <laughs> he yeah, can win that game. Uh, Mad Dog, this was fun. Uh, we appreciate your time, and hopefully we can do this again soon. You guys did a great job. Glad to be helped. Keep it going. Here's Chris. Mad Dog Russo of Sirius XM and ESPN's first take. Yeah, I mean, Shanahan's definitely kind of front and center when thinking about, you know, the plight of San Francisco, the flip side of Mahomes' brilliance. Is there something that's weighing or dragging San Francisco back? Is it Shanahan? Is he being dragged back by the likes of Purdy where it's, hey, Purdy can't be completely uh, unleashed and maybe we have to stay within ourselves. But again, like a couple of key uh, situations, third and fours, third and shorts where they just don't get the job done, where one moment could have swung that so firmly in their favor. Mahomes makes that play every single time, and it seems like Shanahan just cannot draw up the play in the moment over and over and over again where it could put them over the top. It just seems like it's their bugaboo. Yeah, I'm happy Mad Dog brought up that muff punt because you can look at it and say, well, that's something that's kind of out of their control. Or you can look at it and say, Something like that was bound to happen because the 49ers let the Chiefs hang around. And you just cannot afford to let Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs hang around. They were abysmal. That was one of the worst halves we've seen the Kansas City Chiefs play in, in at least a year. It, they were horrible. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. This is the Kansas City Chiefs, and they're being completely shut down. Niners are a good D, but not that good. So when you have the Chiefs on the ropes like that, you have to finish them you got to do it. And they could not take advantage of the opportunities that they had. And that's where you can be critical of them. You, when you have them on the mat, you got to keep them down. And they weren't able to do that. It's, uh, I like the phrase, had them on the mat, because it felt like that. Mm-hmm. But it was a one-score game, like, the entire time. It, yeah. it just their inability to have the score reflect the tenor of the game or how the game was actually played and going, at least in that first half. It was like, well, Kansas City's not going to just allow them to do this forever, exactly. right? So you got it's. It's not like they don't want to be cutthroat to put their foot on the throat of the Kansas City Chiefs, but are they capable of it? Like, is Shanahan capable of just 
calling those plays that put the game out of reach. I think they're going to keep asking those questions because with all those weapons and with a quarterback with the numbers that Purdy had in the game, there really was an excuse not to win. Yeah, the, the thing that confuses me a little bit was just they're, they're, I know the Chiefs D is good, but it's not like any of their true playmakers outside of Christian McCaffrey really had a great night. Like nope. they did not use Ayuk and Debo. Debo and didn't look right. Kittle didn't look right. Kittle either. didn't look right. So the shoulder injury really messed him up later in the game. But it is interesting. We talk about how stacked the 49ers are, and the Chiefs were just able to keep a lid on their best players. And how many times over the course of the postseason did we talk about the Kansas City Chiefs defense and how that was the main difference? That yes, the Chiefs looked awful offensively through a big chunk of the season, but Steve Spagnolo and that Chiefs defense. Was They kept them afloat game after game after game. And then going up against the 49ers, who are so loaded and so talented, and all year the most complete team in the National Football League. Well, what happens? He confuses the heck out of Purdy, just like he confused Lamar Jackson. And there you go, just like that. Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl champs again. Yeah, you're right to pick, uh, to mention the just beyond Patrick Mahomes, right? Because we give, hey, Patrick Mahomes has time. Patrick Mahomes has another another yeah. uh, set of downs, another chance to make a play. He's going to take it. But Reed, Spagnolo, everybody with that team Kept has kind of that sep- yeah. same resume where if you give them one more chance, uh, it's, it's likely that they're going to take advantage of it. Let's t- talk about the title in the NBA. Sw- switch gears go from... Uh, the NFL and a championship to the potential championship or title contenders in the NBA. My task for you, Rubinoff, because it's a busy slate tonight on mm-hmm. Sportsnet One with at least one title contender in the defending champion, Denver Nuggets. But if I set out to you, hey, how many teams do you need to list off to feel comfortable that you have the winner? Like you can have the whole slate, you can pick as many, five, six, seven, eight, if you really thought that you needed it. Or is the list pretty short in terms of, hey, I got the title contender with this many teams. I think my list, despite New York getting better, despite a lot of good teams in the Western Conference fighting for the number one seed, has kind of dwindled in the last month with Joel Embiid getting hurt and a lot of uh, questions about where the Philadelphia 76ers are going. I thought they were going to be the best team in the East, at least the team that was most prepared with Nick Nurse to go to an NBA final. But if I'm looking at this odds board now, Boston, the favorites to win the title, Denver, the lowest odds in the Western Conference, Milwaukee, the Clippers, Phoenix after that. I think I only need, I think I only need two teams. Wow. And I think I got the winner. I love that. I think the Denver Nuggets, obviously you have to put in that group. They're live 100%. Yeah. Uh, They just did it. They got pretty much the same team minus Bruce Brown. Uh, And they've got Nikola Jokic, who's probably the most dominant player in the NBA and the one who's Mm -hmm. going to be uh, most counted on, at least when you get into playoff mode. I don't know if I can trust Boston. I don't think I can trust Milwaukee. And I kind of like the Clippers, who played tonight, of course. Uh, in that doubleheader. I think my list right now might be Denver and the Clippers, and I think I got the NBA title winner right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I have the exact two teams, but I will, I'll, I'll, I'll give a couple more because mm-hmm. I, I do agree with you. I think that Kawhi factor in with, with the Clippers sort of cancels out James Harden and mm-hmm. his struggles in the postseason. So it's like, well, you've seen Kawhi do it before, and Harden, yeah, has he been a bit of a fraud in the postseason? Yes, but it is Kawhi Leonard, and we've all seen what he's capable of i do think it's a little too early for the oklahoma city thunder and the minnesota timberwolves as well the phoenix suns are a team that i think can make a run i think they can be there because the kevin durant he has done it before 
and Devin Booker is mm-hmm. that dude. So I, I would put the Suns in there. And then in the East, I think while they're going through significant struggles at this current point in time, the Milwaukee Bucks, I think, still have to be in there because they fired their coach with a pretty darn good record. And they still have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is getting somehow better and better every single year. And with Doc Rivers there, yes, he has his own postseason issues. But I think having Giannis and having won a title already, there's something to be said for that and having that recipe. And, th- and then the Sixers as well as the other team that I'll throw in there because the, the Nick Nurse factor and if yep. Embiid can find a way to stay healthy, I think they are good enough. Have we seen it from them in the playoffs? No, but I believe in Nick Nurse as a head coach should be able to dial some stuff up for the Sixers. So I, I'd add the Bucks and the Sixers to that. Yeah, I think the East is fascinating, right? Like if you're, as we transition to our best bets tonight, I mean, New York at 20 to one, Cleveland who can't stop winning games at 24 to one and the, and the Sixers at 25 to one. I mean, even the Heat who are, the Boston Celtics have nightmares about the Miami Heat uh, and they're, you know, 40 to one uh, in that range on some sports books right now. So let's go to the best bets of the day. I mean, I, I mentioned a top spot on the line in the Western Conference, LA Clippers uh, hosting the Minnesota Timberwolves mm-hmm. on Sportsnet 1. I like the Clippers four and a half tonight and the Raptors will host Victor Wembayama and the San Antonio Spurs. I like Wemby to go off over 22 and a half points. Love that. Yeah, I went with the uh, Denver Nuggets in Milwaukee to take on the Bucks. Uh, Denver, it, they're getting a point here, so I took them, or uh, they're giving a point and a half, so I'm going to go with the Denver Nuggets against the Milwaukee Bucks. I just think they're a better team, so Denver all the way. Look at that. My tonight. two my two title contenders. You were on to something there, Covering buddy. spreads tonight Pretty for impressive. us. impressive. Look at this guy. Sometimes it's not that difficult. <laughs> But who's going to play them? Who's going to emerge from the East? I guess we can talk about that (laughs) as we go. It's been the fan pregame. Justin and Jesse, uh, thanks for filling in. Rubinoff. Got it.